0: Hello. Welcome, friends. It's Cindy Silva on the Metaphysical Wisdom Podcast. I'm here with Michael Frederick. Welcome, Michael.
1: Well, thank you very much, Cindy, for allowing me to be here. And at a spur of the moment, I mean, we really got it together quickly.
0: <laughs> yeah, the timing is great. I was introduced to you by Michael Gelb, who's coming to Avila Beach to teach a Super Chi Weekend. And I was mentioning to him that I'm really interested in the Alexander Technique as well as Feldenkrais. And he... Mm-hmm mentioned you being one of his very dear friends. You've studied together since, I think he said, what year was it? It was
1: 74. We've known each other since 73 or 74.
0: Yeah. And you studied together in London. And
2: oh, yeah,
1: we all uh, it was back in the early days. Wow. And uh, what we call the salad days, those golden moments in one's youth. And here we were living in London, England for almost a decade.
0: Oh, my gosh. Wow. And now you're in California.
1: Yeah. I mean, now I'm in Ojai, California, which is a small valley north of L.A., about an hour and a half drive, just inland about 20 minutes from Ventura and just south of of Santa Barbara.
0: Yeah. Great. And I'm in Avala Beach is north 90 minutes of Santa Barbara. Um, And you're going to be offering a Feldenkrais weekend retreat the last
1: it's actually what it is is an alexander technique retreat but because i wear many hats and one of them is as a feldenkrais practitioner besides yoga teacher i i I include everything i mean you only teach what you know and what you see. so i i try to teach uh a whole my background as it were yeah
0: well we'll talk a little bit more about your retreat at the end and invite who might be interested to join you but um you've been doing this for 43 years the retreat itself wow. yeah
1: 43 years uh it started out in ojai and moved around california a bit but now we're in malibu at the beautiful sarah retreat center it's a franciscan retreat center overlooking the blue pacific mm. and it's just a wonderful place
2: oh it and sounds
1: just next to 43 years i mean you talk about michael gelb i mean uh back in 1979, my wife and I moved to Ojai to put our children in school. And uh, here, actually a Krishnamurti school, the Oak Grove school. And um, uh, you know, you you made a lot of friends living in England all all those years ago. And I, I was missing them. So I invited them over for a workshop. I said, I can't afford to pay you anything, but I will definitely cover your airplane fare and your uh, living expenses, and we'll have a great time. And uh, that happened here in Ohio. Everyone showed up that I invited. That was 1979, and we've kept it going every year since.
0: Well, I'm so glad that you have enough interest to support it.
1: And Well, you know, I mean, to me, I mean, the only game in town is learning how to work on yourself, I figure. <laughs> and... Uh, The Alexander Technique fits in to that perfectly.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, for people who aren't aware of the Alexander Technique, can you give us a quick introduction of what that is? Sure,
1: easily. Um, There was a man named F.M. Alexander. He was from Tasmania, but then he moved to Australia right next door. And he was a young actor. And around 24 years old, he was getting quite successful but he started losing his voice. And through a process of self-study and exploration, he eventually solved his vocal problem, and he went back to acting. But other actors would hear about that and ask him for help, and then he figured, well, maybe I, gotta, I have to figure out how to teach this work. And uh, what he developed later became known as the Alexander Technique, but he actually called it psychophysical re-education, mind-body learning. And we're talking around 1894 to 1900 was when he was developing it all. So he was one of the first people to, uh, from the West, actually, to think in terms of mind-body. What the essence of the technique is, is learning how to observe when the fight-flight-freeze response becomes fixed, and then learning how to release out of it, you see. Mm-hmm. and. The fight-or-flight response is is a very healthy response mechanism. It's a life-saving process that we have ingrained in us uh, through genetic, through thousands of years. The problem is is that with our cerebral cortex, we tend to interfere with it. And um, then that causes things in the performing art world, uh, they call it stage fright. So what happened with F.M. Alexander, just to keep it simple, a young actor, was getting successful, he got a little stage fright, a little fear that caused him to contract, to pull his head back, created downward pressure in his body, put pressure on his breathing and vocal mechanism, and he lost his voice. Now, he didn't know any of what I just told you. He had to really observe that over a period of time and put it all together. But he also learned that if you try to change things from the interfering pattern, nothing's going to happen.
2: Right,
1: you're just increasing the very problem. So yeah. he learned that the first thing he had to do was subtract the interference, the locked-in fight-or-flight response, and he did that by learning how to think kinesthetically, think with his body, learning how to delicately move out of that downward pattern of holding into an upward release. The moment he did that, his mm-hmm. voice freed up. You know, his uh, everything came back uh and um uh you know, you know the, it became later known as the alexander technique and it's taught at all the major performing arts schools in the world juilliard school in new york city royal college of drama and royal college of movement and, of music and, and london and so on
0: mm, beautiful thank you for sharing it reminds me of the quote by einstein about you can't solve a problem with the same level of thinking that created that it That is was exactly saying- correct can't resolve a pattern from within the pattern that created it.
1: That's exactly correct. And, and, you know, what's interesting about Alexander is he didn't, living in Australia in in the 1880s and 90s, you know, he didn't have access to yoga teachers or Shaolin monastery in China or any type of uh, Zen training or anything. He figured it out on his own, which is... um, was highly unusual. He was actually a genius to be able to do that, uh, and so I call it Western Zen. You know, even though he he didn't have a foundation in any type of Buddhist or Zen training, it is very uh, akin to that. It's all process oriented, and so on. It's, mm-hmm.
0: um, yeah, and there's um, you know, a presence about it, right? You have to be completely present with your experience, right? To to kind of witness the organic intelligence of the body unwinding itself, but make space for that and observe it and then kind of put uh, that together in terms of a process.
1: But yeah, your body
0: is revealing yeah. it. Right. And then.
1: Right. You learn you learn how to observe without being critical. Mm-hmm. So often we get critical of ourselves. I don't like this. I like that that sort of reactional pattern. And he saw that that didn't work. What you had to do is simply watch without judgment and then learn how to delicately move or release out of the pattern. Now, this isn't terribly esoteric. If you go up to any person you might meet on the street and you say, are you tense? Most people will be honest and say, yeah, I'm a little tense. And if you ask them to relax, what they do is they let go. They go, oh they let go, but they let go and gravity takes over and they actually collapse into their body. So what we want to learn is what I call smart relaxation, which is learning how to observe that we're holding on in some way, but we want to learn how to let go, and we let go into a pattern that is uh, inherent in all vertebrate animals. The head does lead and the body follows, whether you're a four-legged dog or cat or whether you know a human being on two feet, you get this dynamic, and so basically you're subtracting the interference to allow nature to come back into play, so that upward energy thrust happens. Mm-hmm. Am I making sense to you at all with that?
0: Yeah, yeah. Except recently, you know, I've been noticing how much energy is up in my head and forward. I've been trying to bring it back into the central channel and down. Right. It's because so much, Um, it seems disproportionate, you know, um, based on all the screens and energy that we have coming out oh. of our eyes, and how yeah. do we maintain um energy inside the body?
1: Oh, this is really critical oh. today, you yeah. see, especially with young people. I mean, I have a daughter who's 19, you know, she has a couple computers and an iPad and a smartphone. I mean, she's like wired up to the whole digital world. And it's all boom. And I'm wanting her to learn how it's useful to use, but don't be mesmerized by it. Don't be let uh, the tail wag the dog, as it were. Don't let the technology control you, Mm -hmm. you see. And it's really important because that affects people's posture. That affects, uh, you know, how they move, their coordination, and so on.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, we were mentioning um, this book just before we hit the record button, and right. it's a classic. And I want—I mm. was talking about how impressed I was with the very first sentence and even the preface of the book. And can I read it? It's for sure, the, please. I, and it says, "We act in accordance with our self-image." The self-image, which in turn governs our every act, is conditioned in varying degrees by three factors, heritage, education, and self-education.
1: Right. I wonder
0: if you could help us understand the difference in um, those three.
1: Right. So there's, there was self-education. I couldn't quite hear. What was the other?
0: Her- heritage. Heritage education and self-education.
1: Okay, so, well, the difference is that heritage are what we inherit through our family. Um, uh, There's patterns, you see. Um, I have a daughter who's about 43, she's a clinical psychologist. And uh, I was over there for lunch earlier today, and, and we were talking and she's going through a divorce and it's sort of a hard time. But I was watching and I was thinking, my God, she's approaching this a bit like her mom, you see, Mm -hmm. and my first wife, and my first wife's sadly no longer living. But there she was, you know, manifesting through my my older daughter, Mm -hmm. the pattern. Now, I'm not criticizing my daughter, her name's Rowan. And, um, you know, but I can say that about me too. Sure. If I get flustered, some way, I say, oh, there's my mom. Yeah. If I get a little pushy, I'll say, hey, there's my dad. You see, my dad was a product of World War Two. Mm-hmm. He was a can do type of guy. Both of them had gone through the Great Depression. Both of them had college degrees before the war started. And then World War Two happened. So my dad was any he, and he survived it quite well. But the thing was, is that he was the type of guy, if there was a problem, boom, we're going to tackle it right now. And uh, he was principal of three elementary schools simultaneously and, uh, because the baby boom generation hit. But anyway, the long and the short is that we have patterns of our, from our family. And, and one wants to be able to work with that without being critical of our family. We're all dealing with the same thing, just different angles on it.
0: We're a continuation of that, but yeah.
1: And yeah. and then, and then um, uh, the educational system I already talked about that uh, -- is a bit top-heavy. Um, I knew a man who died uh, about two years ago, Sir Ken Robinson. No, he I has know, a number yeah. one TED Talk
0: my favorite. In the whole world. Oh, it's so good. And funny. He's so
1: good. And, and his son lives in LA and studies with me every week. Um, James Robinson, but the long and the short is that what Sir Ken Robinson was knighted for was his understanding that the educational system is out of balance, mm-hmm. that it is top loaded. And then it maybe spills over a little bit down through other parts of ourselves. And you could say that we have intellectual intelligence, emotional intelligence, and physical intelligence. And what we want to do is balance all three. And that's where self-education comes in. You see, because you learn how to observe the first thing we talked about, how we've learned things from things from our parents, Mm -hmm. genetically, and also just learned. And then you learn how to To deal with that, so that you don't, uh, in some way, uh, stir up the mix in a way you don't want to, Uh, you you have to be really accepting of yourself and of your parents, Mm -hmm. with all their faults or with all your our faults. Then, then the thing about education, you know, that's, you know, that's the world we grew up in. You know, I, I mean, whether I talk to people in Europe or here in America, you know, it's. It's the same, you know. This, so I say, okay. I had a sort of classic elementary, high school, university training, and it could have been better, but it, it's what it was. So what I've learned to do is simply accept it. I said, okay, there was some really good stuff that mm-hmm. has helped me my whole life, and then there's stuff I learned that you know I let go of that wasn't useful yeah. or beneficial. But then the self-study, that's really the key element. It's when you learn to work with yourself, then that you really make it your own. You know, that's, um, It's not coming from outside in. It's coming from inside out. So it's different. Mm-hmm. And the book you held up by Moshe Feldenkrais, uh, Awareness Through Movement, is a classic book. Came out probably, I'm guessing, in the late 60s or 70s and um i knew feldenkrais i trained with him Mm -hmm. uh, here in america and also in israel and became a feldenkrais practitioner and it's a it's a very uh, it's, it's a fantastic system of learning and learning about movement but it's also you learn about movement you learn about thinking and you learn about your emotional world i mean it all comes together
0: yeah i was thinking this morning um in anticipation of our I think anticipation of our conversation I don't know it came to me intuitively like um that the Alexander technique is for working with performers and I was thinking like I'm I don't consider myself a performer I'm not an actor I'm not a singer I mean I love to dance but I'm not a professional dancer but I am always performing because I'm You know performing if i'm hosting a conversation like this or if i'm Mm -hmm. teaching one of my classes or um, doing a session with a client there's a performance happening right even if i'm Mm -hmm. not
1: um, sure yeah i mean performance is like cooking in the kitchen
0: right you know i mean
1: the thing about the alexander work it, it, it maybe was born out of the acting world But everyone uses it. I mean, the wildest example is probably the Israeli Air Force, the fighter pilots have 16 jets studied the Alexander technique. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I mean, I'm not fresh on the dates when, but, but it did occur. So you can apply it. I mean, at office work at a computer or anything. Yeah, I mean, one of my students in LA is a real surfer. I mean, a real Malibu surfer. I mean, this guy is so skilled on a big board, he can take a folding chair and unfold it and put it on the board and sit on it and ride the wave. That's how skilled he is. There's videos of that. But the thing, he loves the technique. And if you ask him, uh, his name's Kenny. If you say, Kenny, what happens if you're on the surfboard and you retract your head back and down? He said, you fall off the board Mm. because you're interfering with your balance and coordination. Well, that's one of the key principles in uh, in the work that I, I teach is that you want to not interfere with the natural coordination of your head, neck, and torso in movement. So, but the Feldenkrais work is phenomenal work, and both FM Alexander and Moshe Feldenkrais called their work Psychophysical physical reeducation." So.
0: And Feldenkrais, was he a student of Alexander?
1: Well, you know, there's people who will debate this all left and right. I know all the political stuff behind it. What happened is that Feldenkrais had, I believe, hurt his knee in judo. He was the first non-Asian black belt in judo in Europe. And uh, anyway, he hurt his knee and he went to fm alexander and had some lessons with i guess one or two with fm alexander and then a, a handful with walter carrington who trained me in london and then um you know and then he progressed further i mean he did his i don't know how to put it i liked him a lot um a lot of times when people are eclectic they take something from here and something from there and over here it ends up being mud, like taking colors and mixing together, and it gets sort of a not a pure color. But Feldenkrais was one of the rare individuals that had studied martial arts. He had studied the Alexander work. He had studied lots of other disciplines, and he was able to put it together with a original stamp uh, 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 of his perspective. And so um, I thoroughly enjoyed working with him, and he was he was quite a... I don't know how to put it, a little bit bombastic, a little bit, Hey, you know, uh, but he, he really humbled me when I watched him work with people who had uh, real problems, car accidents, children had, who had neuromuscular issues. He just had a magic about him. Mm -hmm. That was, um, that, that was just a cut above. And to me, I, I, sort of say that the Feldenkrais work is a learning method with more of a therapeutic slant to it. And the Alexander Technique is a learning method that you apply to anything you do. Now, I would get Feldenkrais people arguing it a certain way and Alexander People. I don't go there. Mm-hmm. So.
0: It's your, yeah.
1: But, but they complement each other wonderfully. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done it.
0: And yeah, there's a lot of similarities, obviously. Sure
1: are. So, mm-hmm.
0: and I feel there's similarities in the um with Qigong in that it's about you know relaxing unnecessary effort and relaxing interference to the natural flow of mm-hmm. energy. We're talking energy in Qigong, then you're talking more mechanics, right? With the
1: right. But in the Alexander Technique, when you give yourself a sense of direction or orders to let go of the downward tightening, um, you're really redirecting energy. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the quotes in F.M. Alexander, one of his books called Use of Self, he said, when I give myself my orders or directions, what I'm actually doing is directing energy to the part of my body required for the movement to occur.
2: Mm, can you That's say that
1: almost, one more time? Sure. Yeah. FM Alexander, a footnote. When I give myself my orders or directions, and what they are are I wish for my neck to be free, to allow my whole head to release forward and up from my shoulders, my whole body follows, lengthening to widen, and my knees release away. These are directions of subtraction. Neck to be free means I'm stopping the interference that's keeping my neck from being free. My whole head releasing forward and up means I'm stopping or letting go of the pattern of my head being retracted back and down. My whole body following my head means I'm letting go of the pattern of shortening and narrowing and compressing in myself. So they are directions of subtraction and negation when you do that you are fundamentally redirecting energy because if you think of chi what you're doing is letting go of the habit patterns that interfere with the chi flow Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you see, and then what I've learned is that if I learn how to do that and at the same time learn how to actually I don't know how to put it internally redirect that energy flow, you get a whole, what is called an upthrust of direction in your whole body. It's Mm -hmm. a a whole that happens, you know, and I try to keep everything really level headed. I'm not very much of someone who goes off on a tangent too far. Mm -hmm. But it's really true. And and, you know, if I what if I do this, if I have a cup of tea here, which I do, if I take this cup of tea, First, I had to reach my hand out to pick it up. And what I did not do is this. A lot of people, you watch people, they go to reach for the cup of tea and they do that. You see me, I did that. And then they bring it to me and I'm sort of bringing my face down to it and I drink, and then I put it back. So what I'm doing is retracting the head back and down and shortening and narrowing to pick up that cup of tea. Mm But if I come back to redirecting my energy and redirecting my whole head, neck, and body, if I let my neck to be free and head to move up so I get that direction and I see the tea and I pick it up, I bring it to me, then I drink it, and then I look and I put it down. I don't have to add that pattern on top of the action. Now, it's not that I'm free from that, because the truth is with the Alexander work, what you learn is you're always going to lose balance and coordination, but that's not a problem. What you're really learning is the art of recreating balance and coordination and movement. And if you have the skill level to recreate poise and ease of movement, then no matter what life gives you, you can, once you get knocked down, that old thing, you're going to pick yourself up again and come back To uh, better use of yourself, Mm -hmm. and uh, and that has a lot to do with, you know, chi flow and and um, internal balance, the integration of your mind, your emotion, and your body.
0: Mm. Well said. And there's a lot of emphasis um, on the brain and learning and awareness when we pay attention and. Um, have awareness on our movement and sensation the the brain is gathering data and information right. on everything so that if there are limitations, it learns how to find ways around it and alternative ways. Of- sure,
1: that's correct. You know, when I've worked with people who have a neuromuscular problem or something like that, um, once they approach it in a different perspective, they're gonna, they can learn how to create more ease of movement within themselves. So, But I wanted to show you a very simple Feldenkrais thing that we can actually do on the camera here. Okay. If I ask you to take your hands like this, so please do that, and you're just going to fold them. Don't think. And look how they're laced up. They're laced up a certain way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now look at them and just unlace them and lace them the other way so please do what i just did what does that feel like to you
0: yeah the first one feels more natural
1: and say this to me i couldn't hear that
0: first one felt more natural more
1: natural right so this feels a little unfamiliar a little odd possibly
2: mm-hmm.
1: so let's just reverse it we're going to undo it and go back to the first way now how's that for you
0: natural
1: it's like going home again you know it's- what i mean
0: Yeah, it's. um, A preference,
1: it's a preference, that's a good word. So the thing about it is that from a function viewpoint, there's almost no difference between this and this. Mm -hmm. But from a feeling viewpoint, there's a huge difference.
2: Yeah.
1: Now, there's a purpose behind this because so often we do things that we've learned in a familiar way. And it's a way that nature has is, is set up so we don't have to reinvent the wheel every morning, you see. Right. The problem with this is that if you have an interfering pattern in your coordination, you know, a funny little twist or spiral or some type of downward pressure or something, but it feels familiar, yeah. the moment then whenever you do the unfamiliar, it doesn't feel right. But maybe the unfamiliar is actually better for you because you're learning to move out of the familiar pattern of interference. Yeah. So FM Alexander had a phrase for that. He called it faulty sensory feedback, you see. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a similar concept in the Feldenkrais work. Um, I'll, I'll show you something really f- fairly quickly. Just uh, please uh, touch the left side of your face.
0: Touch the left side of my
1: face? Yeah, just touch it. Okay. So, what you did is you took your right arm and touched the left side of your face. Oh, great. So, let's touch the left side of your face another way. And do it a third way. Okay. Do it a fourth way. Oh, yeah, there you go. Okay. How long would it take to touch the left side of your face through all the permutations of us exploring? before you would reach around and do this, you see? Mm -hmm. This is something I learned in Feldenkrais. I mean, almost try this, it almost feels like a foreign hand touching your face, you see, someone else's hand, you see? Mm -hmm. So the thing about it is in the Feldenkrais work, you're exploring non-habitual movement patterns, and this rewires the brain, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you see? I mean, this is such a simple example. But it's so funny because people will do all sorts of things, you know, and, and then very rarely do you get everyone, anyone reaching from behind over. Very rarely. But in an in awareness through movement class, you will do that. He, had, he's, he developed hundreds of awareness through movement exercises. Many times they're done on the floor on a yoga mat, but you can do them in a chair and things like that. But they're a way of waking up your whole um, options in the way you move, and it's fun. I mean, I just—it was a blast and a half training uh, (laughs) with him. Yeah. So you know, those are those are two things that um, that may have you know people may find of interest. But uh, I use this quite a bit because for
2: the
0: practicality. Yeah, I love that we have these practical examples that you shared Let's see this just the habitual nature of us and um like it reminds me of work um called resonance repatterning. um and like we resonate with what's familiar but what's familiar may not be healthy
1: that's correct
0: so we have Is to it... pattern what we resonate with in order to um maybe change an energetic um blockage or sure. structural blockage because um yeah I, i've used this um example before like if you've walked around your whole life with a heavy sack on your back right. your posture is like this right and then um even if you're not carrying a sack you're still walking around like this right. it's right. actually physically uncomfortable to stand up straight even though it's healthier for you because you're familiar with this.
1: That's exactly correct. And, and you may notice this when you, if, you know, if you have a grandmother around or an older relative, you know, you'll see that that part of the image of aging is one slumps and the head comes forward. And the interesting thing is that the average human head lay, weighs in the area of 10 to 15 pounds. I mean, it varies uh, depending on size and so on. But the what's interesting is that if I'm in good balance and carriage and deportment and posture, use all those words, then the head is balanced on top of the spine and it is distributed. The weight in my body is distributed quite uh, the way it's designed to be. But the moment I start to come forward, the experiential weight of your head starts to increase. Mm -hmm. and and so with age what you get is people that are quite forward and that's when they start to get a cane because you need that third leg as it were the cane to keep them uh, balanced upright (coughs) so that's it I mean I found that interesting this the idea that um, experiential weight changes you see so I was trying to think of another example.
0: What was that term you shared, Feldenkrais said, about the patterns that we repeat that aren't healthy for us, but they're familiar, that you had a unique term for that? I'll have to
1: Multisensory go feedback.
0: Multisensory. That was
1: F.M. Alexander's phrase.
0: Oh, Alexander's. Not, Alexander.
1: not, not uh, Moshe's, but they would have agreed, they both yeah. would have agreed on that. You know, and, and It's interesting. I know that you've studied a lot of yoga, Mm -hmm. and I have, too. Um, I specifically studied in Chennai, India with TKV Mm Desgachar, who had a mammoth influence on my life. Right. And. The thing in his book, the uh, I actually have it here, Um, It's called The Heart of Yoga, it's a (laughs) wonderful book by T. K. V. Desgachar, um, is he has all the Yoga Sutras in there with the uh, commentary. And in, in, in book two, uh, Yoga Sutras, around 217, one can lift it up. It talks about an important concept that is very applicable to both Alexander Technique and the Feldenkrais work. And it is being able to see the ramification of your actions before you do them. This is a big deal.
0: Yeah. It reminds me of the quote in the signature right. email, that Chinese proverb. You want to share that? That's incredible. It's so provocative. It's like.
1: <laughs> right. Which, I'm sorry, which one? Which one which, was it? Something? something
0: about um anger, like how does it. Uh, abstain from
1: anger save you um, years of sorrow what oh yeah that? it's on my uh yeah um it's on it's when I send out emails it's there yeah your email I have it. to think of it it's basically the idea is that if you can stop a pattern of okay. anger and save up. a thousand years of sorrow something like that yeah
0: that's and it's it. so true it is it's so helpful. I mean, that. Want it makes you want to
1: pause every time. Exactly. Like... I mean, if you think about it, I mean I don't want to be in politics in this, but if you think about the war in Ukraine, mm-hmm. if Vladimir Putin had any of this knowledge and had learned how to observe the ramification of his actions and learn what not to do, maybe the war wouldn't have happened. Mm. You see, people jump into things, and um, then uh, humanity pays the consequences. So, not All to get right, too get heavy it. here, but it's it's a very important thing.
0: It says, "If you are patient in one moment of anger, you will escape a hundred years of sorrow." That's correct. That that's you know I've. thinking about that ever since that and um just how powerful of a statement that is you know and now talking before about um removing things that are uh pulling us down
1: that's right and yeah yeah, that's correct i mean whether i talk feldenkrais alexander or yoga you get the same concepts in all three learning methods in yoga, they're always talking about polishing the lens because it clouds your perception. That is faulty sensory feedback from a yoga viewpoint, you see. Um, you know, Observing the ramification of your actions in yoga, in the Alexander terminology, we use the word conscious inhibition. Inhibition is not, re- I'm not talking about repression, that's a whole different world inhibition we all have instinctive inhibition if we hear a dangerous sound what we do instinctively is we crouch down and we listen our senses go on the razor's edge and then if we get if the danger gets too close we either spring into action fighting or running that's a positive use of the fight or flight response there's stillness, and then if you're discovered, boom, either fight or run. Um, that is built within our nervous system. It's built within our pet dog and cat. If you ever take a cat and put it outside the door, the first thing it does, it stops, and its tail swishes a bit, and it's tuning in. Yeah. You know, my dog would be sleeping here, and if he hears a sound that's unfamiliar, yeah. vroom! He's right there. Well, that's all good and fine, but we have something called the cerebral cortex. We have an ability to up the program, as it were. Conscious inhibition is you seeing the ramification of your actions. So if someone says something to you you don't like, and you have, excuse me for swearing the oh shit reaction, oh shit, that's upsetting to me, and you will contract at that moment, If you see the pattern, you change it by changing your body into a better upward release. You free your neck and you come back. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: You don't just lash out, you see. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know this real well. I mean, you as an astrologer, I don't know much about astrology, but I was born in November 1944 and I'm a triple Scorpio. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, everyone laughs when I say that. But the thing about it is that I had a major temper. When I grew up.
0: That's okay. why you have that quote on your signature.
1: I think I do. It's something I'm <laughs> to myself or my young self. But it's changed a lot in my life. I'm gonna be I it just turned 78, which is a shock to me as it is, because I was always the youngest guy in the room. It's no longer the case. But the thing about it is I've learned to observe my pattern. Maybe I inherited it from my father. My father in World War II was a commander of a minesweeper with a 40-man crew. He knew how to tell people what to do because of danger. Um, I might have inherited some of his pushiness. But the long and the short is that for some reason in my life, I've had some extraordinary teachers and I have learned how I don't have to go there anymore. Or if I do go there, I can come back to a bit of length, I can temper my response, and instead of get it, because if you don't have a tempered response, you just get the opposite reaction. You see, so applying this work to my own life has changed me radically. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, you know, anyway I won't... I'm curious
0: to um, ask you first maybe this is just me and living in my own bubble and my own algorithm but I seem to find that there's more and more interest in this Alexander technique and fell in Christ for some reason, I believe it has to do with the times we're in and the increased amount of fight or flight response oh, and, the, and the remedy is in these techniques to learn how to um, pause and um, adjust before right. we react. Right. So I wonder, I feel like there's a lot of application to this in oh. working with the children.
1: Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I mean, in in one respect, this work, Feldenkrais work method and the Alexander Technique should be taught in elementary schools. Mm -hmm. It's not. But, uh, you know, it's easily you can easily make games of the work. You can easily teach younger kids. um, You know, the principles behind it come back to process. Don't push for the end result, you see. You know all sorts of things you want the end result to unfold out of moment to moment present moment process um I had a thought and it, it left me but uh maybe I'll boomerang back
0: I mean children are naturally come experimenting with movement and getting down on the ground and moving right.
2: and
1: rolling
0: and pretending to be an animal whatever sure. there's all kinds of um novelty and diversity in their movement. And then we get, you know, as we get older and serious and focused on a profession or something sitting oh, yeah. in a vehicle, like for me, many years I spent on a computer and my head and neck were forward. Right. And right. I'm still trying to get the computer out of my body because
2: sure.
0: pattern, right? Yeah. Um, and so I feel like there's something about returning to that kind of um there's structure to it because there's definite um wisdom and intelligence in it. but it's kind of a structured unstructured movement where you allow spontaneity right you allow diversity because everyone's unwinding in a unique way based on their pattern right or
1: no no all this is correct i mean we're living in extraordinary times i mean you talked a little bit earlier about the stress that's out there You know, I mean, you turn on the news, it almost wipes you out every night to hear the news, you see. And the thing is, is that I grew up at a time without computers, and to me a smartphone was a phone on the wall with a long cord that you could take into the bedroom next door and shut the door. So the idea of having a smartphone is something uh, that is fairly recent, you know, last 30 years. I didn't even know whenever, whenever uh, the the, uh, iPhone came out. But the thing about it is that we all have now in our pocket a a computer. I have, you know, my phone right here, you see. And uh, someone once told me that the computer
0: now, it's like an appendage.
1: Oh, yeah. And they said, you know, someone made a comment, and I'm guessing it's true, that the computer in this phone is more advanced than the computer in the first moon mission, in the spacecraft that took the first astronauts to the moon.
0: No question.
1: Yeah. So the point about it is that we're wired to the whole universe. And what happens is that with this phone, that negative news hits us many, many times during the day. If there's a shooting, it's all over the news. It's all over your phone. You know, all of this. And our nervous system can't take it. It puts us in a startle pattern. You know, I I don't even like even bringing up, you know, a school shooting because it breaks my heart when I think of that. You see. But the problem with it is that we, we get barrage by this and then we get worn down by it and then unless we have tools to release out of that patterning we become a sponge to the negativity and so what i'm teaching all my students i say okay so you're going to watch the news i don't want you to stick your head in the sand and be an ostrich i want you to be aware of what's going on in the world but be mindful of your reactive state because if you internalize it it's not good for you you have to have empathy without some type of internal program of excessive tension Mm -hmm. empathetic understanding communicate listen but don't do don't do something that's going to be harmful to you Mm.
2: yeah
0: i believe that um one of the reasons we're overwhelmed is well, we used to just have information that was to our local village or community and now right. we get information from all over the world and our nervous system gets overwhelmed and we go into fight or flight because exactly it's, it's exhausting you get to to digest all of that and um it it takes a lot of energy
1: Oh, sure it does. And, and you know, if, if we get too much negativity, we start arming, uh, armoring ourselves up so we can't quite feel it anymore. I mean, I, I reflect back when I was a little boy, my, my father's mother and, and dad, my grandparents, lived in a small town in southern Illinois called Mount Erie. It had, if you can believe it, a gravel main street and wooden sidewalks. It was from another time. But there was such a sense of community. There was a, a, a white clapboard Methodist church that my grandmother taught Sunday school at. You had a one room post office and in front of the post office were all these seats and you had veterans from World War I, which was my grandfather's generation sitting there and they would all just talk and be together. If you went into a store, they knew you you by your first name, Mm -hmm. you know, or, you know, maybe they didn't know me, but they knew I was Dave Frederick's kid who Mm -hmm. had grown up there, but now lived in northern Illinois, you see, there was a sense of being seen and heard and recognized. But that gets lost today and and it's actually quite sad. Um, It's one of the things about the workshop in Malibu is we have a real sense of community. People come back year after year uh, because there's that feeling of, of, of the collective, of coming together, of a of, of single focus that that is very, very... Um,
0: a resonance.
1: Yeah, it, it it's just healthy.
0: Yeah, a resonance to something healthy. Yeah, yeah you know,
1: and, and you get people, I mean, The work that you do and the work I'm interested in is really transformational. We're interested in in approaches to transformation. Feldenkrais method is a transformational approach. So is the Alexander Technique and obviously yoga. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: You see, these are things that uh, interest us. And if you get people together with similar interests that are different, but complementary, it's so rich
0: yeah it's just fun it's just fun happens right when i i see um the work you do with all the different methods you're attracted to and what i'm doing and so many other people is liberating consciousness like consciousness is already liberated and it's already evolved it's not evolving it's the forms through which it gets expressed that are evolving and so when I'm working with someone or my own body, I'm trying to give consciousness more bandwidth through
1: this sure. instrument. Yeah. So
0: by whatever means, it could be just simply changing my perspective and um a, a total in uh, change in mood and um freedom in movement can happen just through a-
1: absolutely yes. Yeah, If I may, I'll give an example of one of my mentors. Yeah. Um, There was a great British writer named Aldous Huxley. He wrote Brave New World and a lot of major books. And he actually knew F.M. Alexander and had Alexander lessons. And his wife, Laura Huxley, I knew very, very well. She lived in L.A., in Hollywood, on Mulholland Drive, right below the Hollywood sign and uh, in 1984 she called me up and i picked up the phone and she said are you michael frederick and i said yes and she said are you an alexander teacher and a feldenkrais practitioner and i said yes i am she said well my name's is laura huxley i'd like to study with you well for a quarter of a century 25 years we were vast friends i used to go down almost every week and stay at her house because they didn't want to drive back and forth from Ojai uh, with all the traffic. Plus, she was just a wonderful human being. And she had this ability that when she talked to you, you felt like she wasn't talking to anyone else. It was just you. And she knew everyone. She knew Moshe Feldenkrais. He was a friend. She had studied the Alexander Technique. She had worked in Hollywood on script writing and things like that. But she also wrote uh, an amazing book that I think you would like. It's called This Timeless Moment. Mm. And it's about Aldous Huxley at the end of his life and her with him. Mm. You know, sometimes we meet people who, when you're with them, things melt away. Your anxiety just isn't quite there anymore. Mm. Um, you know, a little a bit of fresh air comes in through the window, as it were. Mm. You know, A smile comes back to your face after you've had a hard day. And uh, she was like that. Mm. You know, and the thing about the Alexander Technique, it, it enables you to treat yourself well. Mm. If you don't have someone like Laura in your life or a grandmother like I had who loved me unconditionally and you can love yourself. I mean, I don't, you know, it's so important to like yourself, Mm -hmm. you see, and, and, and the idea of giving yourself space and learning, you know, don't get critical with yourself. I, I know I'm not, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir, talking to you, but maybe someone hearing this may, maybe it'll speak to them. Um, I was so self-critical when I was young. Mm -hmm. And I had to learn to let go of that. Especially self-critical, I wanted to be an actor. I went off to a great theater school in England called the Bristol Old Vic in Bristol, England. It's where Daniel Day-Lewis trained to be an actor. Mm -hmm. I was there a few years before him. And the thing that What's really hard was to let go of my self-judgment around acting. Mm-hmm. I, no one, I, at that time, I didn't have anyone to help me with that. Mm-hmm.
2: Um,
1: so, you know, I'm, I'm using the acting example, but it could be anything. You could be You could be a cook wanting to learn to really be a great chef, and it's still that criticism comes in. You know so the thing about being kind to yourself is so important. Give yourself mental emotional space
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, okay. and, well, and I
0: like how kind you've been to yourself as a triple Scorpio too <laughs> these um wonderful teachers, and it just I think i I feel like, um you know, nature is always trying to find balance, right? So if we come in with any kind of extreme, um, we're naturally attractive to the opposite, like yin and yang, right? Because nature is seeking to balance and Mm -hmm. harmonize. So when there are people who come in that are pretty balanced, and they don't tend to be seekers, because they don't have that extreme balance. And so, um, yeah, I feel like because of your, um, triple Scorpio water element, um, you know, emotional depth and intensity, you are able to attract and find something to stabilize that, to help you use that as a tool to navigate your life and experiences. And now that you've done that and integrated it, you're passing it on and sharing it with others. And, Um, not through having read it out of a book although I'm sure you've read all the books on the shelf behind you you're (laughs) embodying it and you can't really teach and share something you haven't embodied that's going to stick for someone else so I feel your dedication to this and um, your lifelong journey is something you carry in your field um, just like mrs huxley right it's like
1: right. no when absolutely
0: we're, when we're with someone it's the field of energy that they're anchoring here on this planet that is having an impact in the lives yeah. of others and i feel like our um, gift to the world is to create a beautiful field where people can rest in in our presence
1: and that has oh, yeah to- no, no i agree i mean that when you talk about that it reminds me of A poem from Rumi. Uh, Out beyond right doing and wrong doing is a field. Mm -hmm. I'll meet you there. Right. You see, and you can take that field in many ways. It can be literally a field of grass, or it could be an energy field. You see, it's all. It all works. Yeah. The older, the older I get, the more and. No joking aside or anything, I mean, it's all about paying it back. Uh-huh. You know, I, I've been one area that I've been extremely fortunate in my life is I've had ex, uh, just more in my share of wonderful mentors. And the truth is, I didn't look for them, they appeared the connecting link was my grandmother my grandmother on my dad's side loved me unconditionally she's been dead since 1966 but i still remember her reaching her hands out towards me you know and my whole life that has linked me up because what happens is i don't know how it works i you know even talking about it is odd mm-hmm. but but it's it's almost as if it's she's my north star. It's that if you talk about energy, it's you know it's not like she's standing next to me necessarily. What it is is there's something that that keeps you on the straight path. Mm-hmm. And then you make stupid mistakes, or you make things happen to you, or you don't know how to deal with it, and your backs up against the wall. And then all of a sudden, some mentor shows up. It gives you a little kick in the tush for the next step, you see. And I just feel blessed. But I've learned now at in my late 70s, it's absolutely essential to give it all away. You see, you you can't hold on to anything. Um, So that's one of the things about this course in Malibu. It's just an opportunity to give it away. say for people to come and and learn and uh and uh hopefully gain some skill to make their life a little easier
0: yeah i love the franciscan energy too i um i taught yoga to some Benedictine and franciscan nuns right. when i lived in minnesota and those franciscans were such givers just oh so nurturing. I never felt more love than going to the farm and uh, being fed and you know in the retreats, just everything. I was just so cared for.
1: May I just ask briefly, what part of Minnesota?
0: Um, well, started in Grand Rapids and then ended up in uh St. Cloud.
1: Mm-hmm. Sure.
0: Cold Spring area.
1: Yeah. I know, I know Minnesota well. I lived in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. And uh, it had a really positive effect. It's a great state.
0: Yeah, well, I was born in Galita, and then I got moved when I was um, eleven. I was born yeah. in sixty-six.
1: Ah, yeah, I remember sixty-six. Yeah, they, they tried to draft <laughs> me for Vietnam in nineteen sixty-six. Oh, no. <laughs> it was a scary time, let me tell you. You felt like you were just a piece of meat, and they wanted to ship you off to Southeast Asia. Oh. It was scary.
0: I want to say I want to go back and say you know this thing about your grandmother and this feeling of wanting to give back and so generous and nurturing I sense coming from you is just like we talked about before where there's these sort of um genetic weaknesses in the lineage that get passed on and that we have to be mindful of not right. continuing. There's also the benevolent things that get passed on.
1: That's right.
0: Not overlook I mean, that, you know.
1: Yeah. Thank you, grandmother. <laughs> you know, so no, that is exactly correct. It's so easy to look at the glasses half empty. And, you know, woe is me, I inherited this or I inherited that trait. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, there's also so good things. Yeah. One always has to look at the full picture. Yeah. The thing Um, I did want to say, you know, about Malibu is that um, there was going to be a a mammoth discount for any of your people, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you know, something that Michael Gelb talked about. So um, it's a lot. I think it was like five, six hundred dollars off the base price.
0: It's really generous.
1: Yeah, well... I think you have to do it, especially now we're coming out of COVID, out of the pandemic. I know numbers are up, but there's enough people with shots that hopefully uh, the outcome is less severe.
0: So, this is your first one live since COVID? Yeah, this
1: is the first one after two years. Mm -hmm. You know, we did it on Zoom. Yeah. So, what we're doing is uh, coming back in person in Malibu. uh, Everyone needs to be vaccinated. And we're going to be very mindful, but uh, we're, we really want to uh, get back in person for all the obvious reasons. And then, uh, you know, just heading towards into the future. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just was at an Alexander um, International Congress in Berlin this past August, we had about 550 Alexander teachers and trainees there. Wow! And um, there were, you know, the COVID wasn't an issue. So you know, people, I don't know how to put it. You know, if you're smart, you know, you deal with, you know, if you can, um, I don't how to put it. You know, I, I've had every shot in the book, <laughs> plus I had my flu shot. And so, not that I'm hiding behind that, but it just seems that um, I'm careful, but I'm not afraid, might be a way of putting it. Mm. So, you know, hopefully the whole world works through this and learns a big, big lesson. And it's such a tragedy, so many people have died. Yeah. But um, here we are. Mm. And, uh, you know, uh, one of my students is a very successful screenwriter. He wrote, his name's Derek, and he wrote the movie The Deer Hunter which is an Oscar-winning film with Robert De Niro and a lot of other Meryl Streep and A-list actors. And he came for a lesson, and he's probably in his mid-80s now. He came in, and he was looking, he was right here in this room, looking out the window onto a garden, and he just was reflecting. He said, you know, Michael, life is loss. And I heard that, and the first my first reaction was that and that was a downer statement, a negative statement. But then I reflected on it, and I realized it wasn't at all. That it's actually a reality statement. Mm-hmm. That the older you get, things happen.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: people, loved ones die, or, you know, jobs are lost. I mean, there's all sorts of things that happen. But it's how you deal with it that's really important. How you deal with it. In, and I'm sure you know, and I'm sure people that listen to this know people who have a special quality that if, if, uh, if, if something happens that's a tragedy um, or deep sadness, they know how to listen. They know how to empathize. They know how to reach out to you. And um, uh, they can't fix you that doesn't work but what they can do is they can in a kindness a deep kindness uh, meet you and out of that deep kindness something shifts Mm -hmm. so that's sort of (laughs) you know how i mean that's what i'm learning right now so
2: Mm.
0: yeah it reminds me of a spiritual teacher um adi ashanti you're familiar mm -hmm. with him yeah he said Enlightenment is a destructive process.
1: Well, wow, that's really good. Well, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna
0: So it's about that's a good one. allowing what's not real to fall away. Yeah. 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 And that remains.
1: That's exactly right. You know, I mean enlightenment is a destruct yeah. You know, what it really is is a letting go. It's like, oh letting go. Not this, not that. It me doesn't mean one's cold. It doesn't mean one has a shield up. It means one is open, vulnerable, and there's a release and letting go. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't know where we we're going to get on this topic talking today, <laughs> so <laughs> it here happens. We are.
0: It happens. Um, is there any, as we wrap up our conversation, um, is there anyone surprising success story you've heard based on applying these methods, like um, some practical examples of how people have been helped by this that stand out for you?
1: Well, you know, about the Feldenkrais work in Alexander Technique, the answer is when I trained with Moshe Feldenkrais, there was, I think he was a violinist uh, from Israel probably in the symphony there, that had been in a terrorist attack, shot up pretty badly. And Feldenkrais basically was able to rewire him so that he could go back playing music. I mean, that just astounded me when I heard that story. You see. With the Alexander Technique, there's because that's what I primarily teach, so many stories of... Um, well, it happened to me the other day. I was here in Ojai and I went down to a market here called Westbridge. And, I, you know, I've got my Ojai clothes on and I'm, so, you know, sort of just shopping and all this. And all of a sudden there's this attractive woman that walks by me and then she turns and looks at me and she says, Michael, you're, you're Michael Frederick? And I said, yes. I was your student over 50 years ago, 15 years ago, 15 years, you changed my life. I was blown away.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, and then once she introduced herself, I mean, in 15 plus years, I've had a lot of students, but of course it all starts to filter back.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I was incredibly touched by that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: She said, I think of you all the time. She said, I now moved to Ohio, uh-huh. and I've got my kids here and they're going to school. And I'm in a, you know, I'm going through a divorce. It's a tough time, but I have a new relationship and it's just marvelous. And I just listened to her. She just sort of sat there and stood there and talked and, and shared everything. So that happens. You never know when you teach how you might have um, affected someone in a positive way
2: uh-huh.
1: until, until you stumble onto a situation like that. You know, so I was humbled by that, um because sometimes you teach and you just wonder, am I may you know I'm making a change, you see, and then something like that happens, you know you are
2: uh-huh.
1: you see, and um so anyway, that's an example
0: yeah, that's wonderful. Um, are you teaching classes
1: now? And uh... yeah, no, I teach in Ojai and in Santa Barbara and in Los Angeles and Santa Monica. Mm-hmm. I've been doing that for years. Um, so I, I teach privately, individual lessons, and I also teach group classes, uh, and specifically to performers in L.A. Mm-hmm. But I have to stress the work isn't just for performance; it's for anything but uh i I like working with actors because that was my background and training Mm -hmm. um so yeah that's that's what i do i've been earning my living going on almost i don't know 45 47 years Mm. pushing towards the 50 mark and um and you know and then we have these workshops we do this one in in uh december 27th to january 1st in malibu And in the summer, in uh, in the first week of July, we are in Tuscany, Italy. You see, I love I love going to Italy. I mean, it's just um, so you know. When I go there, we teach. We 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 have a we rent a a villa, and uh, people live there and eat there and and study. We all do the same. It's the same model as we do in Malibu. Yeah, you you can live there, eat there, and you have it's a week long. It is always um, a six day affair. You have a half day at the beginning where people come and register. That's the 27th of December. And then we have evening classes and then we have four full days. 28th, 29th, 30th, 31st. And then we celebrate New Year's on the evening of the 31st. And then uh, then we finish on, um, on uh, the 1st with lunch, classes in the morning and lunch. And it's a great way to start your, your uh, year.
0: Sounds wonderful. Yeah. yeah, how many people do you um, take for that?
1: How many people? Yeah. Yeah, that- we usually have around 30. Mm-hmm. But because we've dropped off for two years, it's going to be smaller this year. Mm-hmm. You know, in the, in the area of 2015 to 20 mm-hmm. but it'll pick up next year, mm-hmm. so I just you know i've always trusted that the work works and yeah, yeah then and i've already told some of the people it's got who have come there many times it's going to be smaller and they say oh great uh, we're gonna you know because they're going to get more work and more. Uh-huh. Uh, more lessons so it's a win win for all. actually. yeah but I, if I could people can find out information if they. Go to Alexander Technique Retreats with okay. an S. Yeah. retreats with dot com. They can find me. There's my phone numbers there. People can call me.
0: I'll put the in the description of the video. It's
1: Please, one. yeah.
0: You know, when I um, I had an Alexander session with um a man named Anthony Taylor. He was uh um also from England and um his wife as well, Chloe, was trained.
2: Uh-huh. Um,
0: also, when I was teaching the nuns yoga in St. Benedict's Monastery, there was a woman, a sister named Mary, I don't remember her last name, but she was a Feldenkrais practitioner, uh-huh. And right. she was such a mystic.
1: Just- right. I mean, you know, you made the, the one of the things I like about the communities, both the Feldenkrais world and the Alexander Technique world is you meet wonderful people, yeah, you know, because there are people who are interested in learning how to work on themselves. And, you know, basically both modalities teach you how to create a space between the stimulus and the response, that space between. And that's, I call that the still point. Mm -hmm. You know, you create, you create, it doesn't mean you don't have strong likes and dislikes, you're just not controlled by it, you see. You know you can you can say, "Well, I like this, and I don't like that. That's absolutely legitimate. but if you if you get caught up in it, that's the problem. You've got to have a certain space. You know, I think of great leaders like Nelson Mandela, mm. you know who seemed to have worked through in his life when he was in prison, freedom from the duality of like and dislike. You know, he I guess uh, from what I've read and heard, he had transformed so much that even his jailers loved him.
2: <laughs> yeah, You
1: see? And there was something remarkable about him. Now, of course he had passion. Of course he, you know, and my my, uh, I, my second wife was from Johannesburg, so I had a bit of experience going down to South Africa. But, you know, its you meet people like that. People who, in the crunch of a situation, know how they've learned how not to get caught up in what i call the opposites
0: yeah yeah the, the polarity it feels like they're guided by um something mm-hmm. that is uh, beyond the um the primal instinct right
1: exactly
0: yeah you
1: know i think that's the human work i mean a human being just to work towards that, you see. We ha- all have the ability.
0: Yeah. You so, know Jill Bolt Taylor, who also has a famous TED Talk, um, huh? The Stroke of Insight. Remember she had a stroke? and
1: Right, no, I remember. And she worked on herself and completely...
0: Yeah, she wrote a book recently called Whole Brain Living, and I really appreciate her perspective. She huh. talks about the lower part of the brain, the amygdala, and then no, the- that's
1: where the fight or flight is there right
0: right but she says we don't have one amygdala we have a left and a right and they right. are differently and the same here and so yeah. she talks yeah. about getting the four characters of the brain to uh, have a, a brain huddle
1: <laughs> <laughs> i love it you so- know and the thing it's probably it's undoubtedly our birthright when you think about it when you think of children who've been raised and there's a playfulness still in their eyes as they start to get into teenage years. There's a different quality, you know, they, something, you know, it's, I don't want to blame too much our educational system, but it doesn't really help us much to integrate our whole selves. But right now, a lot of people understand this and there's different ways of learning. Yeah, And then you have always had people like Maria Montessori and you know, in her schools and J. Krishnamurti and his schools and, you know, Rudolf Steiner Steiner and Steiner work. Sure.
0: Yeah. And more, more, I think, are emerging.
1: Oh, exactly.
0: Yeah. Wow. We've gone on for a while. We have. Well, I'm sure we could
1: go on. We didn't even touch on Sufism and
0: Oh darn. Studying in,
1: studying in Konya, Turkey. But we'd I'd like to do that another time.
0: Okay. We'll do it another time. Thank yeah. you so much, Michael, for sharing. Oh, my your pleasure.
1: Yeah. You're it's it's a joy to talk to. You're very easy to yeah. talk to and have a nice flow. And and I, uh, hope. I greatly I hope appreciate you. it. Thank you.
0: Oh, my pleasure. Okay. okay. Well, thank you everyone a, for yeah. listening in. I hope this was helpful and uh there's more information in the description to connect with Michael and his great work. I'll well, bye for now.
1: Bye-bye.